0: So, who here has someone that they love? Just by a show of hands. Just about everybody, right? It could be a friend, a lover, or even a family member, right? Everybody has somebody that they love. Now, follow-up question. Who told every single person that they loved on Valentine's Day, which we celebrated last Wednesday, that they love them? I know I'm guilty myself. I didn't I didn't tell every single person. I didn't tell my aunts or my cousins or you know, there were so many people that I just I missed. Now follow-up question, and this one I'm also guilty of. Who here told God that they love him on Valentine's Day? Awesome. Good show of hands. Now The thing is, is that we all should have, right? I don't mean that you prayed to him either on Valentine's Day. I'm saying that you actually truly said, and you took the time to say, I love you, right? And why don't we? Well, and especially on the biggest day that we should have been telling him that we love him, why didn't we? Perhaps, just maybe, We don't understand the love of God, and therefore, we don't know how to give him our love. So today, we're going to examine the love that God has shown for us and understand just how deep his love is. You see, we've been in a series through Romans 8 called Assurance, Not Insurance. It would at this point take too long to list every single thing that we've been assured of, But um, today, we are going to be assured of God's love for us. And God absolutely loves us. I'm not just talking about as a whole community either. As our creator, God loves each and every single one of us. He crafted our individuality. He loves what makes us strong, and he loves what we feel makes us weak. God works in our lives to strengthen us and to protect us when we need to be protected. So why do we ignore the fact that he loves us? Could it be that we don't know how he loves us? All the different ways, from the big things to the little things. And that's the entire point of today. So open up your Bibles, and we're going to look at the next section of Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible... I encourage you to either raise your hand and Deacon can grab one for you, or if you feel more comfortable and want to grab one yourself, there's a couple in the back there. And just as a hint and a forewarning, that's it for the PowerPoint. So you're going to need your Bibles if you want to read along today, (laughs) okay? So while everyone is pulling up everything and getting to Romans chapter 8, I want to spend a little time just briefly describing what we'll be reading. Because we find ourselves at a turning point in the chapter as our tone shifts from the pleasantries and softness of the earlier verses to the point, um, and now we start to see the tone change to something a bit firmer. Paul is really hammering home the point of what he's been talking about through the whole chapter here. And this is the start of it all. And Paul does this actually a lot. When he's making a point, he'll start softly, and then move into a firmness of conviction. He does this because Paul wanted to live a life that glorified Christ. And when we look back at any of the Gospels, Jesus did the same thing. He started his ministry softly with miracles of bread, fish and wine. But then he delivered a firm message, and that is by the, the only uh, and that is only by following him that you will find eternal life and everything else leads to hell. Now Paul is actively demonstrating one of the main points of the verses that we're going to read today, that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ by living that life himself. So let's go ahead and pray before we read and see what God has to teach us today. Father God, we just thank you for this time to come together. We thank you that you are here present with us today, showing us love in everything that you do. Lord, help open our hearts and open our minds to your word today. Let your word convict us of what we need to do in our lives to better ourselves and to accept you into our lives. Amen. So let's go ahead. We're going to read uh, Romans 28:28 28, 28 through 30. Now, Paul starts out by speaking plainly. All things work together for good. It's a beautiful phrase in the middle of two defining features. So let's go into the phrase first. Then we're going to look at the defining features around that phrase. All things work together for the good. All things truly means all things. We can look throughout the entire Bible And see it. I love to start where it all began with Genesis, though. In the beginning, God created everything from the heavens to the earth to the creatures that we see around to the plants that give us oxygen. He created every single thing. And then He created us in His likeness. And you see, God foreknew everything including the fact that Adam and Eve were going to sin. And yet, out of his love, God still created them. And God still gave them a choice to love him. He said, do what you have to. I need you to name all these animals. I need you to live. And I need you to not eat of this fruit. Every other fruit, though, it's good fruit. But this is the one that I just need you to not eat. And then Adam and Eve were convinced by the serpent to eat of that fruit. And God did discipline them. But yet we see God walking with them every single step of the way thereafter. God still showed them love. Because God is our Father. And every good father knows that if your child misbehaves, you've got to discipline him a little bit. Right, Eric? <laughs> you know? Every single one. Now, here's the thing. If you go a little bit further in Genesis, we see the story of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph is given this dream that he is going to be above all of his other brothers in some way, shape, or form. He's not quite sure how. The dream doesn't spell it out for him. And yet, his brothers choose to sell him into slavery because of this jealousy that they had. And then, when he's a slave, the wife of whoever bought him, Potiphar, she ends up falsely accusing him saying, this man here had sexual relations with me and I didn't like it. And Joseph's just like, I, I turned you down at every single opportunity. What are you doing? Doesn't matter. He's not believed. And he's thrown into jail. While in jail. He, I can just imagine what all of the other prisoners said. When he's like, you know, I had this dream that all of my brothers would you know bow down to me at some point all the other prisoners are just like yeah right look at where you are you were a slave now you're in jail you've been here for however long no way dude ain't gonna happen and then he's given a chance to interpret more dreams and he does so correctly through god's gifting and then he's ignored again for a while. Even though the guy that, you know, was given the good news and freed from jail says, I will not forget you. He forgot him, at least for a time. And all of a sudden, Joseph is called before Pharaoh to interpret his dreams. And in doing so, he saves all of Egypt from a massive drought and a massive famine. And then his brothers end up coming through, coming down to Egypt for food, and they do. They bow down to him. And Joseph sees how everything that God had done in past, no matter how hard it may have been, was all for the good of not only him, but Egypt and his family and everyone that he loved. In Jeremiah, we see Israel in full rebellion uh, towards God, the one who brought them out of slavery from Egypt and into the promised land. And honestly, like any rebelling child, Israel kind of deserved to be punished and disciplined. So God sends Jeremiah as a warning to Israel to say, repent, it is time to turn. Well, I'm just going to summarize it all for you. They don't not at all. So, God sends Nebuchadnezzar and he exiles so much of Israel into Babylon. And yet, throughout all of it, in Jeremiah 29:11, God says this, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. They he's saying this right before sending them into exile. And sure enough, they go into exile and they come back a stronger people, much more devoted towards God and much happier. And one of the best demonstrations that I've seen recently in the Old Testament was in the prophet Hosea. If you look at Gomer, and a, uh, who is Hosea's wife, you see something pretty darn amazing. See, she's chosen by God to be Hosea's wife. And Hosea loves her wholeheartedly and fully. And yet, Hosea goes and takes other lovers and leaves Hosea to the point where her brokenness leads her into being a slave to other men. She's completely humiliated. She's decimated. Hosea is probably feeling betrayed. And yet, God says this to Hosea in chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man, And is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Oh my gosh. Such an amazing thing to see that even when we turn away from God, God still wants to love us so wholeheartedly. And he proves it all when you look at any of the four Gospels. We see Israel is again far from God. We see this in the culture. The spiritual leaders, the Pharisees, weren't leading Israel's people, but rather they're showboating about their devotion to God. And the kings of the time didn't even care that the Messiah was coming. In fact, they tried to kill him when he was just a baby. So God himself comes down and he walks among us. Jesus, who is both Fully God and fully man. Choosing to walk among us and in our lives. And we as humans, we still somehow don't believe him. Despite all of the miracles. And he heals in front of so many people. And the Pharisees, all they think is that he's demon possessed. And they try to stone him. Demons don't heal. Not like God does. God was healing wholly and fully. And yet, everyone was just like, nope. Not, not believing you. Not those spiritual leaders anyways. And so many then tried to test him. Coming forward and saying, what do I need to do to get into heaven? Or coming forward with a woman who was caught cheating on her husband and saying, the law says we should stone her, what should we do? Or give unto Caesar. What is Caesar's? when he's tested about giving taxes or devoting to God. Jesus answered every single question the way God would because he was God among us. Nobody could find fault in his answers. And God tells us what it really means to love in John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus did. He laid down his life for us. He went peacefully with those who had come to arrest him. And he even stops Peter from further violence after he chops off one of the guards' ears. And he offers no witness for his own innocence, choosing to remain silent in front of Pilate and Herod. And he does not condemn anyone who hurt him while he's on the cross, bleeding, being asphyxiated. He says in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Jesus proclaims all of that forgiveness further in Luke 24, 44 through 48. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now he's saying this after his resurrection, walking with people on a road. And 45 continues with, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witness of these things. And it's just so amazing to see. Paul even confirms it again in Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God does not just work through the good times, people. He works through the bad as well. Those are are kind of some of these qualifying statements that we need to look at, though. For those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. We know God loves us and he'll work through our sufferings. The thing is, is only those who love God and accept the calling that is given them, the call to love him, those people are the ones who will see how all things work together for good. It's so easy for everyone else to just focus on the bad. Those who don't know Christ, those that don't know His love, it's so hard to see. because you see, we have to love God. We have to be conformed to the image of His Son. And honestly, we need that because God has known all of us since before we were born. And when you accept him into your life, you see it. I could go into so many verses. Isaiah 43.1 that says, I have called you by name. You are mine. Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Psalm 139, verse 16, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. On and on through the scriptures. Galatians 1.15, Ephesians 1.4 and 2.10, Job 31.15, 1 Peter 1.20, 2 Timothy 2.19, you can find it all throughout the Bible. God knows you individually. He has known you since before He created the heavens and the earth. So how in the world do we do what He wants and be made into the image of His Son? Well second Corinthians 5:16 through21 says it so beautifully. And the highlight is in verse 17, though. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Out of curiosity, who here has seen that show Forged in Fire? Excellent. Uh, For those that have not seen it, wonderful show. Go watch it because honestly, it is such a great testament to how we can become forged into the image of Christ. And you see, for those that don't know, forged in fire, they, they make blades, they make swords, knives, etc. and I'm a huge sword aficionado, so I love that show. Yep, there you go. Now, Damascus steel is not only one of the hardest steels to make, but it's also one of the most sought after. And the reason it is is it's so beautiful because it is a blend of all sorts of different metals that come together. And the way it's forged and pounded into each other, you get these swirls throughout the blade itself, just naturally. And in Forged in Fire, many times, they're making that Damascus steel not out of ingots, which you would normally think of, but they're taking scrap pieces of metal and reforging them into something beautiful. And that's why the show itself is a beautiful analogy for the process of becoming like Christ. In the first part of the show, they have to go, they have to find their metal, they have to heat it up, and then they pound it with these big hammers into the shape that they need. And the whole part of that First part of the competition is just to meet the parameters of the blade. Does your blade look like the blade that they're trying to create? And is it the appropriate length? Honestly, that's the first part of becoming like the image of Christ too. That first stage is when you become most like the shape and the parameter. It's the early life of any Christian. And the second stage is so important though. See in the show, now they're sharpening their blades, they're refining them, they're putting the handles on, and then at the very end, they have to go through the stress test. And every single Forged and Fire competitor hates the stress test. Because their blades are being beat on with bone, they're having to cut through things that they don't really think they should maybe cut through. And honestly, there's occasionally where a blade will completely shatter into pieces. And you see, just like us, we can feel like we're shattered, too. God is testing us sometimes. And when we fail, especially when we know that we should be doing something better, we feel like we're shattered in the presence of God. But God can do something amazing. He can take those pieces, put them back together, and reforge you. He's going to retest you. He's going to reforge you at the same time. And during that retesting, we feel the most broken because we've, we can still feel where we shattered in the past. But when we let God into our lives, he hardens us to become that blade that he wants us to be. Now the third part of the show, two people go out, they come back with um, blades that are completely different. And you see, we can kind of see that in our own lives as well. We may start out one way in our journey with Christ, and end up a completely different way. I know that was the case for myself. When I first started, I was called to just read the Bible. And, you know, I helped out with the sound and the lighting, and that was my place. And now, God has called me to something different. He's forged me into something new. I drum. I come up here and I preach. I help with the youth at the summer camp one of the best things I've ever done. And yet, in that fourth stage of the show, God, just like like in our lives, there's another test. More stress tests. Every single stage, the blade is being tested. Are you sharp enough? Are you durable enough? And if not, let's reforge you. Let's make it so that you are sharp enough. Let's make it so that you are durable enough. Ladies and gentlemen, a life with Christ, you will become the most beautiful thing in the entire world. But you're going to be tested. There's going to be sufferings. There's going to be trials. But God will get you through it because he loves you. He wants you to become this beautiful creation his true masterpiece. You see, when you look back into the verses that we're reading today, you see this beautiful stepping stone. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You see, when we look at the... um, The thing that just precedes that, though, you see something really cool. Those whom he predestined, he also called. You see, the call to love Christ is universal. Every single person will receive that call to love Christ. And God knows beforehand whether you are going to accept that call or not he's the creator of all things he knows and he's still going to call you it is up to you to accept that call you need to choose to accept that moment and let him into your life or if you're going to l- close your heart off then now many of you You may be feeling that call right now. And if you are, don't wait. Today may be the last time you will ever get a chance to accept Christ. You may walk out of here and get hit by a bus. I know that's a cliched thing, but it's true. It happened not too long ago with a young girl for our next door church. She went home thinking she'd make it. She didn't. It was her last time. And many of you may go home, and you may never hear the word of God again. So today may be the last chance that you have to accept Christ, and I would say don't wait. Do it. Let him into your life. Because when he calls you and you accept it, You will become justified. Because God works not only through you, but He will work with you from the time that you are called until the time you are formed into the image of Christ. And when you are convicted, that is God acting upon your heart. And don't get me wrong, you still need to work with God and not get stuck being the same person you've always been. God wants you to grow. He does not want you to remain stagnant. Any single musician will know this. That you need to practice to get better. Right, Emil? And the thing is, is we can practice with God, too. God is the one who gives us that opportunity to practice. And he shows us how to be better. And It's truly a great thing. We need to practice. We need to become justified. And see, then we look again, that those whom he justified, he also glorified. When we accept God's call, he'll justify us. And when we get into heaven, we are glorified as we are there with him in his presence. All of these things, they're in the past tense because God already knows if you're going to accept and who's glorified. And once you do become called and you accept that call, God's got your place in heaven saved for you. You never lose it. You just have to accept him and say, God, I believe you. I believe that you came down to this earth, that you sent your son here, and that you would die for me on a cross, and that you are truly my Lord and my Savior. So how is it that despite all the evidence of God's love, we could not really know of God's love for us? There's so many people out there who say, well, if God really loved me, he would, he would what? Create you? Think about who you were before you were even in your mother's womb? Decide that despite all the pain you would give to God by rebelling against him and talking bad about him, he would choose to create you out of love? Why are those words coming out of our mouths? God has not, been nothing but generous and loving. He picks us up when we're down at our lowest and he celebrates our victories with us. Just because you are plugging your ears and closing your heart to God doesn't mean that he isn't there with you. I have the benefit of hindsight myself. A couple years ago, I started a business, my own chainmail business. And honestly, I have never been in business before. I knew nothing. I had barely even created anything. But I loved it. And this was before I knew God. So I took my first leap of faith. I went out and bought probably four, dollars or $500 worth of supplies. I meant to only buy 250 but, well, they doubled my order accidentally. That was fun. And yet in that faith of going this will be successful god was there with me and the thing is is i didn't even realize it because i hadn't accepted christ into my life i thought it was my own doing hindsight says i should have failed i had no right to succeed none everything was against me the fact that i knew nothing about business the fact that I knew nothing about craft shows or anything, and here I am, three years later, able to even give my business to God and give some of my profits over to hands-on Africa. It's been an amazing journey. Today, everybody here has a choice. You can be with God, or you can turn away from him. You can either know what true love is in the way he loves you or you can turn a blind eye to it and live your life without ever knowing what love truly is. Ephesians 4, 23 through 24 says, Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. If you're ready to put on your new nature, and commit yourself to conforming to the image of God, whether you've believed in the past or not, I want you to raise your hand right now. I know I am. I'm ready to commit myself. And if you feel like that you are either ready to make that first commitment to Christ, or you're done staying stagnant and want to grow with Christ, let that raise of your hand be that true commitment. God is so happy and smiling down on each and every one of you right now. For he showed us true love by coming down and dying for those who he created, his sons and his daughters. Not only that, but he calls us friend along the way. How is it that he died? He sent his only son, Jesus, who is 100% man and 100% God, down onto this earth to live a perfect life in which not a single part of him was blemished, which just means to be spoiled in appearance. And just like the law stated in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that an unblemished lamb, lamb was the highest thing that you could sacrifice to take away your sins, Jesus became that unblemished lamb for us. He willingly let himself be sacrificed, so that when you turn and accept Christ into your lives, you can be forgiven of your sins. And then three days later, he proved it all by rising up from the dead and showing us the power he had over life and death and the power he had to forgive. So if you're ready to really make that commitment to Christ for the very first time today, I want you to go ahead and raise your hand. And if you're online, just type into the chat, I commit. Today, Christ is going to begin forging you into a new creation. And it may feel hard at times, but you'll become a truly wonderful masterpiece if you allow that to happen to you. In a moment, we're going to pray and the band will come up to sing. And as they are, if you raised your hand today at any time, I invite you to come up and pray pray. I'll be over here and I'm going to ask Pastor Ken to come up and be over here for you guys. And our deacons are also here and can pray with you too. So come and pray and confess your commitment that you've made today to be made into the image of Christ. If you don't feel comfortable praying with someone, then I invite you instead to come up and kneel before the cross and pray to God expressing how much you love him. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you have shown us love in a way that none of us can ever love another. You love us unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and know everything that you, that we will do. Whether praises you or it hurts you you have shown us love so today lord we turn and we say to you i love you lord i love you from the bottom of my heart i love you with every single part of my soul because you chose to create me you gave me life on this world And I know that turning to you means that I will continue to live forever in heaven with you and with all of my brothers and sisters who have turned to you. I will gain a great family when I turn to you, Lord. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart and I love you so much that you have done all of this for me. Lord, we thank you we thank you for life we thank you for those who love us and we thank you for those who we get to love on this world show us the way to become like you that we can lay down our lives for another that we can love others in a way that is so beautiful help us to shine your light on this world And spread your love from here to the ends of the earth. Amen.